0: Welcome to Route, the podcast of the First Responder Behavioral Health Institute. The First Responder Behavioral Health Institute is bringing together some of the most inspiring and dedicated change agents in the global public safety, psychotherapy, and educational communities. Each episode of EnRoute seeks to bring together first responder change agents and clinicians dedicated to constructively disrupting the status quo by tackling the tough subjects like first responder suicide, post-traumatic stress, moral injury, sanctuary trauma, leadership development, critical incident response, peer support teams, and what it means to be psychologically safe and healthy while working in an unsafe world. All units, please stand by. The in route podcast is about to begin. You can resume normal traffic on this channel after this transmission. I'm Joseph Brigandi. Thank you for watching in route. Today we bring you Dr. Roger Solomon, a psychologist and psychotherapist specializing in the area of trauma and grief. He's on the senior faculty of the EMDR Institute and provides basic and advanced EMDR training internationally. He currently consults with the U.S. Senate the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, and several law enforcement agencies. Dr. Solomon has provided clinical services and training to the FBI, the Secret Service, the U.S. State Department, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the U.S. Department of Justice, and numerous state and local law enforcement organizations. Internationally, he consults with the Italian state police. Moreover, Dr. Solomon has planned critical incident programs and provided training and peer support for teams all over the world, and has provided direct services following such tragedies as Hurricane Katrina, the September 11th terrorist attacks, the loss of the Space Shuttle Columbia, and the Oklahoma City bombings. Dr. Solomon has expertise in complex trauma and collaborates with clinicians on the utilization of EMDR as informed by clinical understandings on the structural disassociation of the personality. Roger has authored over 42 articles and numerous book chapters pertaining to grief, trauma, complex trauma, and disassociation. Please join me in welcoming Roger Solomon to route. Pleasure uh, to have you here with us today. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Joseph.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Um, Most of the people who are in complex trauma medicine know who you are. Uh, Many of our first responders don't. So let us know a little bit about your background and uh, what you do.
1: All right. Well, I'm a clinical psychologist. I specialize in trauma and grief and also uh, have extensive experience and expertise working with first responders. My first full-time job was working as a psychologist, the police psychologist with Colorado Springs Police Department, and that was 1979 to 1988. And then I became the department psychologist with the Washington State Patrol, and did that for six years. And then continued to work with first responders, military, with with veterans, with a and a number of. Uh, federal law enforcement organizations FBI secret service a- ATF NASA Department of Justice and currently I am a uh, part-time uh, part-time contract employee with the United States Senate providing EMDR as a an assessment and referral tool and I'm working with the internal Employee Assistance Program of the United States Senate.
0: Now, you've been a member of EMDR community for a long time and a longtime friend of Francine Shapiro. Tell us a little bit about that time, what actually EMDR is and how we would utilize it. A lot of my uh, first responders are a little leery of it. Um, and uh, I do a lot of debriefings myself, and one of the things I'll hear from them is that's some voodoo stuff you're talking about right there. Uh, so can you take the voodoo out of it and explain EMDR? Yes, us?
1: many people call it that—the the voodoo, the voodoo stuff. Yeah. So yes, it is something that can look mysterious, all right, because it involves thinking of the critical incident. And usually we do some type of bilateral stimulation, which can be eye movement or can be tapping. And yes, it can certainly something that can look a little hokey. What is this stuff? So let me explain it, that we have an information processing system in our brain. And when something negative happens, we can think about it Talk about it, mull it over, read a book on it, sleep about it, sleep on it, dream on it, etc. And it becomes processed, it becomes integrated. It's something that happened and not happening now. It goes to the past. But something that is particularly distressing can get stuck. It can get frozen in the brain, stuck in the brain, unable to fully process and when there's some kind of reminder up it comes the images thoughts emotions sensations the 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 uh, movements the the fear the franticness the state of mind the sense of self that one had at the time of the trauma gets evoked so in this way the past is present so Present problems are the result of past experiences that are not fully processed. Well, EMDR therapy originating with Francine Shapiro in 1987, who just stumbled upon it, put together the framework, is is a therapeutic framework that, Research has shown. I think at this point, or probably around eighty studies have shown its efficacy. Now, what it does—it's—it's it's a lot more complicated than than it looks. It's not just eye movement. There's so much more. What we do is we'll access that memory. You know, think about the images, negative beliefs, emotions, sensations. And then the eye movement does seem to give a jump start to the brain's information processing mechanisms, which may be like REM sleep when we're dreaming. Other research has shown it's similar to slow wave sleep. In other words, uh, slow wave sleep, it would push the trauma through the brain. So that now instead of being something that's too much, and frozen in the brain is now integrated into the regular memory network. In other words, it goes from here in your face to back here. Something that happened, it's not happening now, but you still retain appropriate emotions and survival information. So again, it is something that is uh it's particularly useful for people who don't like to do a lot of talking. The person you do have to be able to stay present and articulate what's happening, but a person does not have to describe a lot of detail in EMDR therapy. And as I said before, it is someone it is something that is effective for trauma.
0: People get confused on that. And one of the things they don't understand is we're going from the amygdala back into the frontal lobe, that it's actually um, affecting brain science. That there's so much research uh, that goes into this. Um, being an EMDR certified therapist myself, um, I've seen the benefits that people get uh, right away from it and the relief. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the things that you mentioned, which I think is is so important which is why the title of Bessel van der Koek's book, The Body Keeps the Score, was such a brilliant title in five words um, because it is in the smell. It's in the cologne of the individual who assaulted the person, and they smell a similar cologne, and all of a sudden they're right back to that state. It's in the backfire that sounded like uh, gunfire back on a uh, crime scene or in a war zone that takes them back to that state and now they're unable to go ahead and work with it and process it. Or EMDR provides that avenue uh, for them to access that and to go ahead and uh, work through those emotions and to go ahead and recognize that they can be present with it uh, and to take it into another place uh, in the brain and another place in their life uh, that uh, facilitates healing. But, um, yep, most of my uh, law enforcement personnel call it the voodoo here Um yes. And uh, (laughs) I love that, Um, and I I thank you very much for explaining it to us. Um, You do this work all over the world, and, uh, you know, that's one of the things I've attended your classes in person and have had the privilege of your mentorship over the years. Um, And to watch some of the work that you've done – is just inspiring, and it continues to do that for me. Uh, You spent quite a little bit of time in the Ukraine uh, training their therapists. Tell us a little bit about that journey and what it's like.
1: Well, I was working in Ukraine before the war. Actually, the first time was in 1994, and went over to do EMDR training in Kiev. And I went back a couple times that year. Went back in 2016 to to uh, give a lecture to, you know, to work with military psychologists. And, you know, remember the war started with 2014 and I started doing EMDR uh, therapy training, in well, 2020, June of, of, uh, of uh, you know, 2020. And, and then of course there was the invasion last year in February. So I have continued to do training online. Also, I've done sessions online, working with uh, clinicians who have their own traumatic experiences. I've also been working with uh, families of soldiers killed in the line of duty. And I've been providing training to clinicians, not only in EMDR therapy, but in complex trauma and dissociation and also dealing with grief and mourning issues. I went live this last April, 2023, and before in 2022, and I look forward to going back next May, 2024. You've
0: done an awful lot of work in the area of grief therapy. One of the um, uh, programs that you run is the EMDR and the Art of Grief. You were featured in the Handbook of Grief Therapy, the Utilization of EMDR Therapy with Grief and Mourning. Tell us a little bit about that chapter and more about Grief and Mourning and its use in EMDR.
1: Yes, and, and um, the let me give it to you in a nutshell. Okay. When we lose somebody, certainly there's, it's a trauma in and of itself. The person is gone. They're not coming back. So EMDR therapy can be helpful in several regards. First of all, it can help with the trauma of the loss. And secondly, what emerges with the EMDR therapy as with any successful therapy is the emergence of positive, heartfelt, meaningful moments. So most frameworks on grief and mourning talk about how it's important to remember our loved one. And when we do, we feel the joy, we feel the love. However, there can be a lot of pain. It can be too much to fully realize that the person that we love, died and is not coming back. So EMDR therapy, we can work with the trauma of the loss. And yes, it's painful. This emotional realization is painful. But in going through that, it gives access to these positive, adaptive, meaningful memories that are heartfelt. And a person starts to form what's called an adaptive inner representation of the loved one with the goal being they can think of their loved one have these positive memories and moments and it's felt in the heart so this leads to a greater sense of positive co- connection going from a connection of pain to a connection of of love
0: Yeah. I've had many people stuck in pain, unable to process that because they feel like if I process through the pain, then I'm going to go ahead and my loved one will just be a memory instead of recognizing that as you process through the pain, you'll also get those wonderful memories back of that time spent
1: together. Yes. Very important principle. Some people are afraid to lose the pain out of fear they'll lose the connection. It's just the opposite. If we're able to reprocess that pain, they have more access to the positive memories, meaningful moments, and a greater sense of connection.
0: Nice. Um, One of the things I had wanted to learn and and study as a first responder was post-traumatic stress and stress-related disorders. And I thought that if I understood that, I'd be at the uh, pinnacle and the top of uh, my game, and I would be able to help our first responders and, and reduce suicidality. Uh, When I started this journey, I met you about halfway there, and I started to realize that post-traumatic stress is a a plateau, and then we enter a world called traumatic-related disassociation. And I realized, oh, my goodness, that's the top of the the mountain up there. What is traumatic-related
1: disassociation, and how do we work with that? So complex trauma or trauma-related dissociation is – What happens when there are severe events, especially in childhood, that are too much? Abuse and neglect. Let me explain it this way. Everything with us human beings, any living being, is geared toward survival. And if something happens that's too much, an experience occurs that's too much or it's too overwhelming, Well, that memory gets stuck in the brain, unable to fully process. But if there's a lot of trauma and it's severe early in childhood, especially from a caregiver, then how do we survive that? Well, there's a division of of the personality. And one or more parts of the personality are engaged in everyday living, you know, that, you know, self care. Work, socialization, etc. And there'll be one or more parts of the personality holding the trauma, reenacting, re experiencing the trauma. So now we can think of a continuum. We can even think of simple post traumatic stress disorder as one part of the personality engaging in everyday living. And there's a part of the personality that holding the traumatic event, re-experiencing, re it, not knowing it's over. And when there's a trigger, a person re-experiences the event, the emotions, physiological arousal, okay? And of course, the more severe and earlier the trauma, the more there can be this division in the personality so and we can think of it as a continuum so what's um, important here especially for first responders to to um, understand that if there's a critical incident one that's it can be traumatic in and of itself but it could start to bring up earlier unresolved trauma losses and particularly these childhood experiences Involving, you know, involving our caregivers, these memories get maladaptively stored in the brain and they get triggered. And as a result of that, there's difficulty in dealing with emotions, difficulty in relationships. And again, they are also self-esteem problems.
0: Now, our first responders have a lot of fear about stigma when it comes to mental health issues and seeking help at work and they feel that they're going to be targeted for removal or that the leadership doesn't understand uh, that most trauma can be dealt with and that they can return to work. Um, That is one thing that I've I've spent a great deal of time trying to work with administrators to understand is that when we have a firefighter say who's fallen off a ladder and broken their leg in three places, you know, we have physical therapy, occupational therapy, return to work protocols and policies And it's our objective to get them back on the job and to take care of them. If somebody is struggling with a critical incident they've experienced or needs uh, time uh, to maybe go to the Center for Excellence um, for the International Firefighters Association for Recovery, um, there's often a a sense of stigma, and administrators don't understand that uh, these individuals can return to work. One of our faculty members, Mark Bouchard, is a uh, wellness officer with the RCMP. And he wrote um, Setting Your Sights on Stigma Thoughts from an Injured Mind, a SWAT team operative, and still on a SWAT team today. But there was a time within his agency that he had to educate them to the fact that, hey, this is a recoverable injury in many instances. And, um, you know, leaders don't have the training, perhaps, or the knowledge to understand that. What what words do you have for our administrators and public safety organizations when it comes to treating their members and understanding post-traumatic stress?
1: Well, I agree with you 100%, Joseph, that first of all, we are looking at something that is treatable, that we can do something with. And not only that, when we go through, when we work through our critical incident we emerge stronger we become more resilient after facing our own vulnerability our own fear and you know, getting through the other end there's a we are going to emerge with better coping skills better understanding of ourselves better equipped to deal with future critical incidents so The thing is, stigma can prevent a lot of first responders from getting the support that they need. So that's why the services need to be confidential. And the the job of the administration is to provide these programs. And again, it's got to be with culturally attuned therapists who understand first responder culture. And another very important part of the administrative duties in this program is to stay out. It's confidential. It is something provided to support their employees who go through a traumatic incident. Joseph, I've been around for a while and you know, remember, uh, you know, the early days and, and involved in current circumstances. The, we would lose a lot of officers involved in the shooting. Not so much because of the trauma, but because of the way they were treated. So they may, might recover from the trauma, but it can be very difficult to go back and again face a stigma and have to worry about how they're gonna be treated by uh, by the organization. There needs to be support and this includes peer support and professional support as needed. That is separate from any administrative process. And I'll tell you, Joseph, I think first responder agencies have come a long way in, uh, in, in this regard. Certainly there used to be a significant stigma. It certainly was when I first started. But I have really see it come a long way. I think most first responders and administrators understand the need for support when there is a traumatic incident and do provide it. But, but yes, I think it's difficult for anybody to want to deal with events the, and with emotions that were so much, that were so powerful, it got frozen in the brain and isn't going away. And again, I wanna emphasize there there are programs, there are therapeutic methodologies that can really be helpful. You don't have to live with these images in your face. We, we can take care of that most of the time. I do wanna say this, Joseph, getting back to trauma-related dissociation or just complex trauma, that there can be a critical incident that occurs and it starts bringing up the other past material. We can deal with, uh, with both and EMDR therapy is helpful, not only with the current trauma that someone may have experienced, it's also helpful with past traumas as well.
0: I agree. I couldn't agree more. And one of the things you said that resonates so much is the role of peer support. Many of these people that I've worked with, my clients, have gone from uh, facing a traumatic-related incidents, uh, being targeted for removal, and have often come back into the agency to be peer support um, folks that are highly effective because they have a lived experience here. They're able to go ahead and uh, uh, speak to the membership in a way that uh, they can relate to. And one of the other things that we need to go ahead and start doing with peer support is to add clinicians to it. I um, offer a clinically directed peer support course and um, it's a challenge in that, uh, number one, uh, how do we get competent, culturally competent clinicians into those roles The other thing is the understanding that administration can and and needs to stay out of it. Um, I assure uh, my peer support teams when I meet with them and visit with them that um, this is not going back to HR. This is not going back to your administration. I am here 100% for you and to go ahead and make sure that you get competent and quality services and not necessarily with me or my agency. I come armed with a list of a dozen great people in the DFW area that uh, have uh, spent the extra time, uh, tried to learn this culture, and are available to you. But there's a resistance uh, into accepting that um, and a a big fear. Uh, So educating administrators, another reason we do leadership development courses, is to go ahead and educate them as to what their role is. And as you said earlier, your role is to stay out and to be supportive and to go ahead and recognize that this is a healing process, a recoverable process. And it'll be a good thing the day that we have um, smashed the stigma, so to speak, uh, to the point where um, this is not you know, not going to be looked at any different than having broken an arm or a leg on the job. And we're just looking forward to getting you back into service and getting you the care you need.
1: That's right.
0: Now, you've been uh, doing an awful lot of work. Um uh, all over the world, uh, I believe today we're uh, meeting you in Finland. Uh, what are some of the next events that you're on your way to go ahead and uh, uh, present at?
1: Well, uh, a lot of my programs, the you know, the, the core is EMDR therapy, okay. and the context, you know the context is um, grief and mourning complex trauma. And I also work with uh, uh, first responder agencies. And I also train clinicians in EMDR clinicians will be using EMDR therapy with first responders and in Finland. Now I'll be going to Italy and Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Bali, taiwan and there's uh brazil's gonna be that's gonna be a webinar okay okay looking forward to some point going going live there as well so very nice and um the first responder behavioral
0: health institute is planning to bring you to the dallas fort worth area march of 2024 for a three-day event training peer support teams and one day of working with clinicians uh, in the area of traumatic-related disassociation. In the three-day peer support training, what would some of our peer support teams uh, learn uh, by attending this class with you?
1: Well, let's understand what peer support is. There's so many different levels. And the workshop that we're going to be doing together, Joseph, is to help you know, train peers to be present, normalize other people's experience, and be able to share their own. So let's look at this as an introduction. That Here's my philosophy. It's one thing for me, a psychologist. I have a PhD. I can tell you flashbacks and nightmares are normal reactions to an intense situation. But it's another thing for a peer, someone who's been there, to come up to you and say, you know what, after my incident, I had nightmares, I had flashbacks, and I'm not nuts. And if you're experiencing some of these reactions, you're not nuts either. So peer support in this course, uh, we're envisioning. And this is a model I've used for years, for decades. I used for police fire, military, therapist. I also work with railroaders. I'm, I'm very proud to have been uh, working with Via Rail Canada since uh, what well, may have uh, been 1991. A lot of work also Union Pacific Railroad. So what the workshop will be, first of all, we're going to provide education on critical incident trauma. And the best way to learn about what critical incident trauma is for first responders is to talk with each other. Nobody's ever forced to talk, but so much is learned for when everybody tells their personal story. And it's also helpful to have some practice among your peers to tell your story, because somebody may need to hear it. So. And what we ask is for people be themselves. We don't, don't want to train people to be counselors. That's not a peer. It's being yourself, listening in a non judgmental manner. It's understanding and it's normalizing. Now, that's an important part of peer support. And first responders already have a high level because they do it every day with the public. Now, a second aspect of this workshop is gonna to be to promote personal healing and resilience. That's the way I think of this workshop. I think of it as, as, as promoting the healing of trauma and enhancing resilience one's ability to bounce back, one's ability to come out stronger and utilize the wisdom gained from going through a critical incident to further your ability to deal with other life challenges. So now EMDR, will also be offered on a volunteer basis. We have found, and there is some research that EMDR applied to critical incidents within the context of this kind of a three-day program, really is healing and can really integrate that trauma, promote the healing. And we've seen this, and. Most of the most of the people who come in with a critical incident. Now, at the same time, people may need more support. So, a very important part of the workshop is to recognize this is the first step, and that there is further support available as needed, not just done. And we don't forget about people too. We can certainly provide the follow-up that is needed. But what we want to do is provide a safe environment that's confidential, where you can talk and realize you're not alone, better understand what you've been through, what you're experiencing, and and give you the tools on how to cope with it, how to deal with it constructively, and how to support others through a critical incident, and their own trauma come out the other end stronger, more resilient.
0: I agree. It's um, um an incredibly special opportunity and experience to sit with your peers and to have these experiences and to get the uh, opportunity to see it done. Um, when uh, we had uh, worked together in Maryland uh, just before COVID had hit and we had planned to roll these kinds of courses out together, Um, the overwhelming, um, love and support in the room, uh, was just life-changing, uh, for me and for the other participants. Uh, and we saw when you see EMDR done right there and you get to go ahead and see the voodoo piece removed and you see the clinical efficacy shown, um, and the participants, uh, I remember one individual saying, I wasn't able to recall this incident, uh, clearly and, art- and articulated fully to internal affairs when they had asked me to give a statement. And now here today with you, I'm in touch of with um, all of the memories. It's not hurting me. I'm very clear in what I saw and what went down. And uh, you know, he had reported that he had uh, it was the best sleep he had had. Uh, we had had him, I think, at the three day workshop, and uh, you had done this uh, particular processing on day one. And on day two, uh, he had reported uh, some of the best sleep he had had since the since the trauma he had faced, life changing work right there. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now we also have a Saturday planned for clinicians. Uh, can you give a little voice to what uh, what some of that training is going to look like on Saturday?
1: Yes. Yes. Well, it's important that clinicians be knowledgeable about. Complex trauma and trauma-related dissociation, and just have some a framework that can inform their thinking of of uh, you know understanding how it how it formed, what happened, and to have you know and to learn a tr- uh, learn treatment methodologies, and, and that would promote healing. For example, what's important is to do what's called phase-oriented treatment. The first phase of treatment would be stabilization. When we're working with people where there's been a lifetime, a childhood that's too much, you can't just jump into the memory. It could be re-traumatizing. So we'll do stabilization, psychosocial education, help with daily living to increase their window of tolerance, the ability to stay present with intense emotions. That's putting it simply. Then we can move into doing the memory work. Nice. And then uh, to doing the memory work, it frees uh, the, you know, the third phase of uh, phase-oriented treatment is personality reintegration personality, reintegration, and rehabilitation. Because now the person can learn new new skills, they relate to the world, other people and themselves differently. But of course, there there are other triggers as well. And let's understand these three phases, it's a spiral. You'll start doing stabilization, Now you do some memory work, but that starts triggering more distress. So back to doing some calming relaxation, back to memory work. Now the person's ready to try something new and maybe that's successful, but it also starts bringing up some other distress. Maybe we need to do more stabilization, more memory work. So these three phases of stabilization, memory work, personality, reintegration, think of it not as linear. But as a spiral, circling back as needed, and there's a lot of tools and methodologies within, within these three phases. Excellent. And of course, yes, EMDR therapy is very consistent with each of these phases.
0: Now, you have to have completed EMDR's level one and two to attend this workshop and be a licensed clinician. Yes.
1: Well, no, it's okay for non-EMDR clinicians to come. So, because I can still talk about what dissociation is and treatment phases, and I can certainly talk about EMDR and talk about EMDR treatment and show showcase uh, show case examples on videotape. Okay. So it may be that other clinicians would be curious and then afterwards go get the training, but I certainly hope to be able to teach the, clinical phenomena and philosophy of treatment and give some nuts and bolts, uh, methodologies. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Now you are popular all over the world and following you and your journey on Facebook is inspiring. One of the places you're most, uh, loved is Italy. You have a book out there uh, you help the Italian state police on a regular basis. And I understand that that book is in the process of being translated into English. Tell us a little bit more about it and when we might be able to expect it on shelves here in the U.S.
1: Yes. Well, it's uh, the book is on the EMDR treatment for grief and mourning, okay. all right, and transforming the connection to the loved one as I've, I've talked about so it is out in italian and be another few months before it's out in english it is in press with oxford university press and when it comes out too there's interest here in finland and other countries in the translation
0: of course there so. is excellent um you know we've taken a lot of your time today you've been very gracious with us as we start to wrap up What messages do you have for our viewers, first responders in crisis or in general that you want to share with our community?
1: So first of all, to first responders. And having worked with first responders, uh, again, I've done more than just being a psychologist. I've certainly been an active participant responding to many types of incidents. I want to thank you. I am grateful to you. The you are needed. You are important. And even though there is a misguided misunderstanding public, you know, live with it. Don't take the criticism to heart because what you're doing is important. You are important. You count. Keep at it. And There are people like you and me, we want to support you. When there is a critical incident, we don't want to just help you get through it. We want to facilitate you coming, coming out the other and stronger with more resilience and capacity. So again, I I thank you as a, uh, as a father, I thank you as a grandfather.
0: Excellent. Very important words for everyone to hear. And um, if we want to go ahead and get in touch with you to book a program, we can go ahead and have them reach out to the First Responder Behavioral Health Institute, and we'll go ahead and get them in touch with you uh, to go ahead and get a hold of your classes uh, and programs. Um, It's an honor uh, and a privilege to have you on the show today, to have you as a member of our faculty uh, and our advisory board. Uh, So, uh, on behalf of the Institute itself and uh, from the bottom of my heart, Roger, I can't thank you enough for your support of us, and uh, we're honored to support you in return. So thank you.
1: Oh, and, and thank you, Joseph. Goodbye. We'll talk to you later. It sure will.
0: Thank you. I'm Joseph Bergandi. Thank you for joining us for this episode of InRoute. Route is a production of the First Responder Behavioral Health Institute. To learn more about us, head on over to frbhi.com.